Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Bridget Tunnicliffe. In the program this week, the wait is finally over for cricket fans with the World Cup about to get underway in New Zealand and Australia for the first time in 23 years. We talk to the coach of the 92 side, the current coach, and introduce some of the tournament newcomers. We take a look at the winners of this year's Halberg Awards, the football ferns talk about their World Cup preparations and New Zealand Rugby's medical director discusses initiatives to better assess and respond to head injuries. So the waiting is almost over for cricket fans. It's been 23 years since New Zealand co-hosted the Cricket World Cup and what a summer it was. New Zealand were never expected to go deep into the tournament after a poor run of form leading into the 1992 World Cup. But when New Zealand upset Australia in the first game of the tournament at Eden Park, it was the start of an amazing run that would capture the public's imagination. Against all the expectations, New Zealand made it to the semi-finals and looked for all money to be heading to the final. But with his side in a precarious position chasing 262, young Pakistani batsman Inzmamul Haq had a fiery 60 runs from just 37 balls to rescue his side and break the hearts of cricket fans here. Warren Lees coached that New Zealand side and spoke to Stephen Hewson about what lies ahead for the Black Caps. Lees says his enduring memory of 1992 was the way in which the public embraced them. The support of the New Zealand public during that time is the one thing I'll never ever forget. So going to the airports or going to the dairy or uh, getting on a bus or whatever, going to the you know to your hotel, the support that that team um, seemed to um, uh, get from just wherever they went in New Zealand was just amazing. And and you could never ever repeat it. And it's something that apart from the cricket, the cricket was great too. But uh, just around the country was something you really felt so proud to be a New Zealander and I think that's the one thing that I'll, I'll hold on to. Do you sense similarities with, with this current site? Oh very much so and, and, and to be fair I'd say 14, 16 months ago we may not have thought the same way but my word this team's grown and uh, leadership um, very very similar although different people, the McCullum and the Crow, uh, the leaders from the front and they've got the whole team behind them. Martin Crowe certainly had that, and that developed during the World Cup. But uh, Brendan McCullum, in particular in the last 12 months, has really got not just his own players, but he's got all, all cricketers behind him. And, and I, I think that also goes over into the players within the team. They're pretty settled. Um, they've got young players, but I'm sure they're being well looked after. Are you one who reminisces? Is, is, is this brought back a few memories that you may have forgotten? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I, I had no trouble putting the whole thing behind me. We, we lost that game in the semi-final to Pakistan, and there were tears around the ground as we did this lap of dishonour, as I call it. Um, uh, yeah, that, that brings a lot of that back. I, I think it brings back the memories of the friendships more than more than the cricket side of it. And I know that we won 
know, a whole lot of games. We got to the semi-final and everyone was disappointed. But I just, I remember the other things more. Uh, the, the absolutely solid friendships you get out of it and the, and the group of guys that, you know, we, we liked each other's company and we enjoyed having breakfast together or, or going in the bus together to the ground or waving to people when you're going onto the park or whatever. And they're the sort of things I'm always going to remember. There are certain things about the competition and the, and the playing that I probably put out of my mind and, and it comes back. I mean, you can't take anything away from the way Martin Crowe led that team and the way he batted during the World Cup. So that comes back and that's a warm feeling because it's only for a brief time he was probably the best batsman and the best captain in the world. How different is it going to be for, for this black cap side? Uh, similar, very similar, and they haven't come across a few of their problems yet. They've had a build-up that was uh, different to us and that they've done very well, and, and our, our build-up was a, a bit of a disaster, really, and we were at crisis point. Uh, but, but that was soon overcome. But I think um, so, some of the things are going to be particularly similar. Uh, you'll play on some um, smaller grounds against lesser opposition, uh, and I'm not taking anything away from the opposition. For example, I'm now sitting talking to you from the University Oval, and New Zealand will play Scotland here next week, and that, that's exactly those things, slightly lesser opposition and, and a smaller ground. But they're also going to have to play on the big grounds that are packed against the tough teams. And when I say tough, not just in skill, but mainly in attitude, and it's completely different playing perhaps um, Scotland at the University Oval as opposed to playing your Englands and your Australians and your, and your South Africans at Eden Park. So they've got a lot of hurdles to, to get over, but I think they'll be pretty well prepared for it. What advice would you offer to Brendan McCullum or, or, or the team? Yeah, stick together. They, they must stick together. It's got to be a family going through the country. It's got to be a family of not just the 15 players, but the whole group. And, and even in the bad times, and there will be some, there will be some bad times, and there'll be some tough times too, and there'll be some close games. Uh, but they've just got to stick together. They've got to be so supportive the whole way through. And not not quite to the, you know, build a fence around your team stuff, because you've got to enter into the whole World Cup, because it's an experience that everyone would love to be part of. But uh, they've, got, they've got to be supportive of each other, and, and they've got to make sure that, you know, the, the positive attitude that they've built up, especially in that Sri Lankan series, uh, continues. And they, they back each other to the hilt. And I, I think, they're, you know, they're, they're a really good bunch of young chaps. In the scheme of things, I mean, getting through past pool play would seem relatively straightforward, but, but how key is it for them to start off with, with a win against Sri Lanka in this opening game? Well, I think that's exactly it. I, I don't think you have to go out and win by much. I think you've got to be a little bit conservative. You've got to gently get into this World Cup and, 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 and build to it. I mean, it's been a hell of a long preparation. Um, and the excitement's built and then died away a few times, I should imagine, with some of these players. I think they'll be pretty conservative about the way they pick the team for the first game. Uh, they know that, um, given uh, all things being equal, they, they should be able to um, play well and, and beat Sri Lanka. But um, I think it's very, very important that they get into the tournament and get themselves a win and, and get on that so-called roll. And, uh, and it does happen in tournaments that you get onto a, a positive vibe and that goes right through the team in the hotel, on the bus, at warm-ups, at that, as you're having lunch or whatever. And I think they've just got to be quietly confident, not overconfident, but quietly determined that they start off with a win. How key do you think it is that Brendan McCullum is going to have to perform and lead and be a key to, or is he a key to them winning? I mean, you look at Kane Williamson or Ross Taylor and you think, 
they might be able to get the Blacks to Caps to a competitive score against some teams, but the likes of Australia and South Africa, it's may, may well going to be take some McCullum magic to to yep. win those big games. Yeah, yeah. Brendan McCullum's definitely key. I think the key is his captaincy, and I don't think that'll change. I think that the the players back him 100. percent I know you're talking about the runs, and we're we're thinking righto. We're we're feeling pretty good about Taylor and Williamson, but uh, they won't win the tournament. Um, the tournament will be won by by the team, and there are certain players. I'm pretty sure we'll we'll have a bigger say in some of the wins, and Brendan McCullum obviously will. He, he'll possibly win a, ga- a game for us somewhere. But the other the, the bit players are the important ones because to win a whole tournament in a, in a world contest like this, uh, you're going to be judged by your players um, nine, ten, or even twelve, thirteen. Those those ones, if they come through and they do their job, uh, you're pretty sure and you're, you're pretty confident that your top players will always be your top players. And, and they're ready for this, and they're experienced. And I'm not going to say they're going to succeed every time, but you really need your lesser players. And I'm not trying to be smart, but, but you need your, your newer players to be able to cope with the situations. And they've got to remember to take the deep breath and calm themselves down before they bowl their first ball at Eden Park in front of 50-odd thousand people and against a team uh, as tough as South Africa, perhaps, or whoever it may be. Predictions? I should get one from you, Warren. I think we definitely make the semis. Uh, then it's a bit of... Uh, we've been luck involved in some of these tournaments and the, the toss of the coin and the, the umpiring decisions or a wee bit of luck, uh, the rub of the green so much. But if we make the semis, I think we get every chance of going all the way. Warren Lee speaking to Stephen Hewson. You're listening to Extra Time. I'm Bridget Tunnicliffe. Fourteen teams are contesting the World Cup and just qualifying has been a major feat for four nations, Afghanistan, Scotland, Ireland and the United Arab Emirates. Cricket reporter Stephen Hewson takes a look at the minnows. Crowds took to the streets in Kabul to celebrate when Afghanistan qualified for the World Cup a year and a half ago. In the space of five years, Afghanistan's gone from the lowest ranks of international cricket to taking part in the sports international showpiece. The national team was formed after the end of Taliban rule in 2001, with many of the players introduced to cricket while in refugee camps in Pakistan. A drawn series against Zimbabwe last year has given Afghanistan a major boost. They're coached by former Black Caps coach Andy Moles, who says if they can win a couple of games against the likes of Bangladesh and Scotland, they'll go home heroes. If they can pull off a couple of results, I mean, they'll get the freedom of Kabul when they go home without a shadow of a doubt. You know, the, the, the passion at home is massive. Um, and I just hope we can just keep our calm and take the right decisions at the right time, not panic. Everybody's taken to the Afghans as the darlings of the World Cup, being from the war nation. So they're going to have to play in front of big crowds, and that will bring its own pressure of its own. But if they can play well, we don't have to win every game, but if we compete, I think they'll get really looked after and the public will take to them. This is Ireland's third consecutive one-day World Cup tournament, but they'll struggle to have the same impact as they did in the two previous editions in 2007 and 2011. At each of the past two tournaments, they've beaten a major nation. They accounted for Pakistan in 2007 and England four years ago. But their bowling attack is light on experience and their batsmen struggled on the recent acclimatisation tour of New Zealand and Australia. However, batsman Andy Balburnie's optimistic. The last couple of World Cups we, we got some good wins but in the last World Cup we didn't progress um, and, we, and we want to get out of the group and get to the quarter-finals and then 
you know, quarterfinals in any sport, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's one game. And, you know, on our day, we can beat any team. Ireland's first match of the tournament is against the West Indies in Nelson on Sunday. The United Arab Emirates is competing at its first World Cup in almost 20 years, having only previously competed at the 1996 tournament. They're coached by the former Pakistan international, Akib Javid, who was a member of the 1992 side that beat New Zealand in the semi-finals at Eden Park in Auckland and then went on to win the trophy. Javid says the key for his players is not to get overexcited. With the mega events like this, you need to make sure that your players are calmed down, not very excited, control emotions and aggression. The ideal situation is for every player to play the game and bring the same feeling as you're playing for your club. Because only then if you relax, uh, you're in control, only then you will perform at your best. Scotland's competing at its third World Cup, having previously played in the 1999 and 2007 tournaments. And they appear the most likely of the associate nations capable of upsetting one of the top ten teams. They're coached by former New Zealand Test cricketer Grant Bradburn, who took on the role midway through last year. We're aiming to do what no other Scotland team have done, and that's win some games. You know, we believe that um, skill-wise, you know, it, it's all there. You know, there's a there's a massive amount of natural ability in this team, um, but we also are well aware that we just haven't got the experience of of every other side that we we will play against. But you know, we're, we're definitely um, you know aiming to win some games of cricket. Scotland's first chance at claiming a win over a major nation comes next Tuesday with their first game against the Black Caps in Dunedin. After a seemingly endless build-up, New Zealand will go into the opening match against Sri Lanka this weekend. The Black Caps have completed one-day series wins over Sri Lanka and Pakistan this summer and a win over South Africa in an unofficial warm-up match earlier this week has given the side a final boost. The coach, Mike Hesson, told cricket reporter Stephen Hewson he's relieved the tournament's finally arrived. The fact we've been playing the last couple of weeks has been good, um, so we haven't had to think too far ahead. I think if you, yeah, if you go back home and you sit there and you know think about you know, the World Cup, you sort of probably play the game about a week too soon. So I think the fact we've been able to uh, obviously play South Africa yesterday, get that focus, now we've got two days just to sharpen things up for Saturday. Could you have been better prepared? Oh, look, I don't think so. I think we've prepared well, but I think we also recognise that you know, it doesn't mean a lot come Saturday. Um, it means that we're confident and, and guys are performing their roles well, but um, we realise that you know, Sri Lanka on Saturday are a, are a tough proposition, um, so uh, we certainly won't be taking any for granted. One of the big questions from Sri Lanka, well, Seth Malinga coping with him, and generally just pace bowling in general, when you look at maybe some of the games you've, you've had in this lead-up, the, the genuine pace hasn't been there maybe. Um, yeah, look, we face Morecambe and Abbott. You know, they're all one four five. They're, they've got some good gas and obviously plenty of height. Um, you know, our guys. I think Ab De Villiers mentioned it the other day. I mean, our guys face Adam Milne and things like that in the nets all the time. So pace is not something that we're unfamiliar with. Um, you know, obviously playing Sri Lanka, we've we've had more spin um, and medium pace to to combat. But um, you know, we play twelve months a year, so we're we're okay. What's your biggest focus as you as you come into this tournament on? talking to the players about uh, what would be a key what is going to be a key message you, you give ahead of that game oh key thing is that we don't actually have to change anything we just have to play well and do what we do um we don't have to spend the next couple of days reinventing our tactics or anything like that we just need to prepare well and, and go out and everyone does their job then we'll you know we'll be tough to beat 
you enjoying the whole atmosphere of the World Cup? Are you trying to get the players to embrace it? Is that the approach to take? Oh, look, everyone, you know, once the 15 were packed, um, you know, I think everyone was sort of hanging out for that. I think once that happened, everyone's just, you know, happy to be here and, and loving the opportunity to play in front of a home crowd. So, you know, there's a lot of excitement, but there's also... It's tempered, um, and guys realise that you know we have to play well to, to get to the business end of the tournament. I suppose you need to build gradually through the tournament, do you too? Uh, look, we kind of don't operate like that. We sort of, you know, we have a level of intensity that we think we need to be at to, to play in any international, and, and we'll look to bring that on Saturday. Um, I don't think we're a good enough side to be able to, you know, build up. I think we have to um, be on task from you know from ball one, and that's kind of the way we've operated the last 12 to 18 months. How? Unsettling would it be if that first game was a loss? Uh, they'd be okay. I mean, as long as we we do what we're trying to do, and, and if, it, if they play better than us, then fair play to them. Um, you know, we've got three games in that first week, and uh, we certainly, you know, if it doesn't work out, we'll we'll think about the things we have to improve, and we'll we'll front up to Scotland a few days later. But um, you know, the World Cup won't be won in the first week, um, but we'd certainly like to be playing some good cricket then. Have you gone through? the pool matches and sort of seen how things are likely to, to pan out sort of come that, that playoff stage and where you'd like to be and who to avoid perhaps? Not really, um, we've looked at it you know, in terms of every game uh, you know, we've got no control over the other side of the draw and you know, I think this tournament will have some surprises um, I think a lot of people think it'll follow a you know, pretty stock standard pattern and I'm not so sure it will I think the, the nature of you know, the top sort of 10 of 11 sides now, um, they can beat each other on their day. So, um, we, you know, we're just thinking about Sri Lanka. We've obviously done some scouting, which we have prepared for our future matches, but we won't expose that to the players until we need it. And, and yourself, how have you enjoyed the World Cup environment? Just be, your, I suppose, your, your first with the Black Caps. Yeah, look, it's, we had a couple of T20 World Cups, which certainly don't have the same you know, vibe and atmosphere as this. Um, this is a, and obviously at home, you know, everywhere you go, everyone's pretty excited about the event and, and wishing us well, which is, you know, which is great. And um, you know, it's, it's hard to know whether that's going to be um, more pressure or less. I think if we start the tournament well, hopefully we can uh, enjoy the ride. The Black Caps coach Mike Hesson talking to Stephen Hewson. Two other sports news now. The double world champion rowers Eric Murray and Hamish Bond won the country's most prestigious sporting prize this week when they took out the supreme title at the Halberg Awards in Auckland. It's the second time the pair have won the award as they beat out the world golf number one Lydia Ko and the New Zealand cricket captain Brenda McCullum, who were named top sportswoman and top sportsman respectively. Alex Coogan-Reeves reports. 2014 was another remarkable year for Murray and Bond as they kept their unbeaten record since pairing up in the Coxless pair in 2008 and added another world title after competing in the Coxed pair for the first time with Caleb Shepard. Bond says their willingness to go a step further than their competition in their preparation is a key to their success and says it's nice to be recognised for that. It's raining, it's miserable outside, howling, wind, you know, you're borderline sinking your boat arguably unsafe. The other rows where our international competition may hum and ha and go, you know, maybe, maybe we won't go out today. And those are the rows where we feel if we go out and we do what we can and, and really achieve something, those are, the, those are the training sessions that will separate us from our competition. 
Bond and Murray had to beat out Stern competition just to win the Team of the Year category. With the Kiwis Rugby League team, Auckland City Football Club, the World Champion Sprint Cyclists and the Sailors Peter Burling and Blair Chook also nominated for the award. Murray admits some members of the sporting public would have preferred the award went to a more mainstream sport, but says it's hard to compare across sports as most of what they do goes unpublicised. The thing is with rowing is that you don't see what happens on a daily basis. You know, in, in a lot of sports like rowing, you know, we're in the media for a couple of weeks a year. Same with the cyclists, you know, you see the world champ victory, but you don't see the time and effort they put into it. It's all of these people that do so much behind the scenes that you don't really realise um, what it is. And, and of course we are a passionate country with our sport and some people think that different sports should be on a higher level than others, but you know, I, I'd hate to be a judge. It wasn't just current athletes who were honoured with a former Olympic board sailor Barbara Kendall and the ex-rugby league star Stacey Jones inducted to the Sporting Hall of Fame. Kendall also won the Leadership Award for her work as a member of the International Olympic Committee and says it was more special than her four previous Helberg wins. I actually rank this one more because it's, it's done from doing something else after sport, which is a real privilege to do and, and to be recognised for the great job that you're doing. It's a little overwhelming actually. It's probably the first time I've been speechless. I was walking up and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is just like I'm, I'm totally overwhelmed. Other winners on the night included the track cycling coach Anthony Peden, who was named Coach of the Year, the swimmer Mary Fisher, who won Disabled Sportsperson of the Year, and the cyclist Regan Goff, who won the Emerging Talent Award. That was Alex Kurgan Rees reporting. You're listening to Extra Time. I'm Bridget Tunnicliffe. The Football Ferns added another couple of internationals against top opposition this week as the national women's team continued their build-up to the World Cup with a tri-series in Auckland. Coach Tony Reddings took his team to a one-all draw against 7th-ranked North Korea before a 3-2 loss against Australia, ranked 10th. The New Zealand striker Sarah Gregorius is a well-travelled professional now with stints at Liverpool Ladies in the German Bundesliga and now in Japan. She spoke to Richard Wayne before the Australia game. I've had a lot of really, really good experiences in different parts of the world, which has helped me grow as a person and obviously as a football player as well. What's it like playing pro in, in the women's game all around the world like that? Um, it's definitely a lot different to playing pro in the men's game. I don't drive a Lamborghini, for example. So, yeah, there's a lot of differences. It's difficult to compare the two because I've never played as a men's professional player, obviously. But, yeah, the differences are stark, I think, both in terms of the opportunities and, you know, the financial remuneration that <laughs> goes around with being a pro men's player as well. But you're professional. You're, you're making a living. You're playing the game you love. Yes, yeah, which is... Amazing. It, it's, it's the dream, to be honest. Um, if you'd told me that as I was growing up 10-odd years ago, I would not have thought it was possible. So, yeah, really fortunate that the opportunities have presented themselves when I have been able to take them. There's not many New Zealand players, men or women, who can say they played for Liverpool, right? No, that's a short, very short list. So, um, yeah, it was. it's an amazing <laughs> club and just I've never been involved in probably an entire organisation that is so huge and just so unique. It was, yeah, it was amazing. And Japan recently, is that right? Yes, Japan is my current 
I play for a team called AS Elfin Saitama. Right. Um, and I'm heading back there shortly after this camp. Now, um, Australia, next after this, I mean, one of a number of games, USA coming up, you just played France not long ago. I mean, how good is this build-up? It's amazing, and our program leading into the World Cup and even post sort of going into the Olympics next year has is, is been really amazing. The um, staff have worked so hard, and sort of, you know, now it's up to us to deliver and do the business because we have it all in front of us, and it's such a good build-up to really do well at the tournament. Well, you've earned the right to, to, to get this sort of build-up by being our highest-ranked football. Team. I mean, you know, there's no, no doubt you deserve a, a proper shot at this World Cup, and it's good that you're finding, you know, someone's getting a good shot with a proper preparation, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, and I think you're right, the time is right to strike in a way. Um, we've done so well, built so well up towards, you know, this pinnacle event that, yeah, teams want to play us, which is why we've, we're getting the fixtures that we're getting, and we want to play these teams because we really want to test ourselves so that we give ourselves the best opportunity to do well. Now, of course, North Korea under the World Cup, I think they didn't qualify, but the Matildas are, the Australians, mm -hmm. silly name, isn't it? But <laughs> football fans is a lot better. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, what do you make of, of that game? What do, you, what do you reckon you've got to do against Australia? Because they are they're a pretty good team. Yeah, they are a really good team. They have some really, really talented individuals and they're very athletic. So, and, of course, they're sort of looking to peak as well going into the World Cup. What we say internally is, like, if we do what we're good at as best that we can, then other teams will find it difficult to cope with us. So... While we do, we do examine the opposition and we, we try to find ways to sort of break down their armour sort of thing, um, we will be focusing a lot on ourselves and making sure that we bring our strengths to the game and play in a manner befitting to be able to um, get results against a team like that because they're very, very good um, and they've got a new coach and so they've got players who are really, you know, sort of fighting and and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it'll be, it's, it's just another really, really good test for us to see where we're at. We haven't played them in a while. Yeah, so we yeah relishing the opportunity. Mm, that's, a, that's a good response, isn't it? Like, to, you know, sure, we're playing whoever, you know, top person, whatever, bottom person, we've got to focus on ourselves. And mm. that, that's the sort of attitude that champions take, surely. Like, I don't care if I'm staring at Rafael Nadal across the net from Roger Federer, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think you have to you have to be able to trust your own ability. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the position that, that we're in if we just spent all of our time focusing on our opposition. So, yeah, we... We pride ourselves in what we do, and we, we try to play, when we wear the shirt, we try to play to the best of our ability. So it is really about everyone individually and collectively bringing their strengths, and you know you sort of would fancy yourself against anyone if you're having that sort of attitude. Um, do you do a lot of uh, mental work, any psychological work, anything like that? Yeah, we do. We, we, we work like hard in that space. It's really important to have that, you know, that attitude and that spirit and that drive to um, consistently perform at that level. Otherwise, I think if you don't, focus in all areas you you're leaving a little bit up to chance and we don't have that sort of attitude it's definitely no stone unturned so yeah that, it's a huge part of what we do as well yeah. mm. Tony Reddings uh, said to me that you know we're going there to win the World Cup there's no point just turning up and mm -hmm. you know seeing how far we go we're, we're, we're there to win it and that's the attitude you've got to take isn't it absolutely I think what is the point exactly like you've said what is the point in going anywhere if you think oh you know this will be a really I've never been to Canada I'm going to really enjoy myself like no stuff that we're we're going there to make a difference we're going there to be around at the business end and to be we want silverware we want you know championships and, and world cups and things like that we definitely don't shy away from setting those expectations the New Zealand striker Sarah Gregorius New Zealand Rugby's medical director says teams could offer more support to match doctors when a player suffers a head injury during a game.
It comes after World Rugby, the sport's governing body, said the Wales winger George North should not have continued playing after his head injury in last Saturday's Six Nations opener against England and Cardiff. Dr Ian Murphy told Max Toll New Zealand has robust concussion procedures, but there's always room for improvement. I think in general the the procedures that exist through the recommendations of World Rugby and uh, what we do here are generally adequate to, I guess, avoid situations like this arising where we can and, and to protect the best you know, health interests of players. But for saying that, I guess I accept to a degree that sometimes things just don't go right and there can be a whole host of reasons in each individual situation that we hope don't happen, but sometimes they do. I, I am confident that for the most part, though, in New Zealand, we do have bits and pieces in place to help avoid that. And, of course, uh, you're never going to be able to prevent a concussion happening in the game. I mean, that's the end of the, the gold at the end of the rainbow on concussion. If there was some way we could prevent the concussion in the first place, you know, we'd, we'd all be doing it. And, and, and certainly there are elements that can lessen the chances of concussion, you know, good tackle technique, understanding where other players might be going and, and so forth, make big differences to those collisions. But, but as you saw with the George North one, you know, best endeavours, these things, clash of heads occur and, and you can't prevent them all. Do you think the players are clued up enough on this topic? Yes, I do. I think the players are well aware of the existence of this mechanism for assessing concussion. I also think that with the increasing awareness around concussion that a number of players are not afraid to say or bring to the attention of a team doctor that they're a bit concerned about a fellow player. Um, because lots of things go unseen. and As many cameras as you like, there's lots of stuff that happens in the bottom of rucks and malls. And we, we are certainly seeing on occasion players in a team making their team doctor aware that they're a bit concerned about another player. World Rugby has said that there will be new concussion control measures at this year's Rugby World Cup, including monitors and team medical rooms yep. and independent match day doctors appointed. Yep. A good move? Yep, yep very good move. I think... I think it would be fair to say, though, at, at this point in time, a lot of that actually exists now, and I, and I, I guess, I guess, World Rugby are wanting to emphasise that that does exist. When you go to a match at any professional level here in New Zealand, there is an independent match doctor. There is also access for that match doctor to the obviously the big screen replays, which they're much it's much easier for them to see something that happened on a big screen and replay three or four times than it is an attending doctor. They also have access to a Sky TV television with the sideline comments and they're very welcome to have a look at a replay on there. We are looking to go further here in New Zealand and get a live, a further live feed to the sideline where a match doctor can, under his own control or her own control, replay an episode and show a team doctor. Just lastly, you mentioned that obviously concussion control measures are always being reviewed and looked yep. at. Yep. Can you see where there might be room for further improvement? I think in respect to the professional game, one, making sure that we give the team doctor the best chance of making the right decision by giving them as much information as we can. I think we can also further support match doctors to make decisions that are sometimes difficult to make because they... You know they have a material effect on teams potentially. It's a, it's as you might appreciate it. It's sometimes a very brave call or a difficult call to pull a, a team superstar player off the field on a suspicion of a concussion when you're not the primary physician responsible for that player. So I think we need to continue to support those people. And then the last thing I think is is getting that testing we do when we do take a player off the field to continue to refine that testing because there is. 
one of the challenges with concussion is that there is no one test we can do to someone to say you are concussed. New Zealand Rugby's Medical Director, Dr Ian Murphy. That's the show for this week. Remember you can contact us at sport at radionz.co.nz and you can get the latest sports news anytime on our website. We'll be back next week with another edition of Extra Time. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.